Hi, everybody. Welcome to Busy Lippin' Soba. Busy Lippin' Soba. Busy Lippin' Soba. Rob, what is up? Good morning. Good morning. We are on episode 146. 146 episodes. It's so great to have you here. How are you today? I'm wonderful. You're wonderful. Well rested. Had a good breakfast. Already got a meeting under my belt this morning. So did some meditation, did a little prayer. Now I'm here. It's already a peaceful, productive day. So tell me, will you tell us a little bit about your story? Uh, What it was like, what happened, what it's like today. You don't have to go too deep if you don't. Whatever you'd like to share that you think would help somebody. Well, uh, uh, my sobriety date's August 8th, 2006. Um, My life plan has completely changed from where I thought it was going to be. You know, I'm from Southside Chicago. I'd always seen these um, older guys, my grandfather's friends, that uh, were down at the corner bar, and they used to have, they well, they still do have, maybe if they're still alive, but they had this picture frame behind their bar stool of the cars they used to own and the houses they used to have and the, the boats and the family, and they would always refer to that. I was very little, maybe seven or eight years old, and they'd point at like an old 57. Oh, I used to have that, and then I used to have that car, and... And I thought that was my life, you know, from a very young age. I thought I will get everything, and then eventually I'll lose it all, and then I'll move to the corner bar and I'll get my own stool and uh, live off uh, watching Cubs uh, day games and drinking beer and eating free hot dogs. And lo and behold, that still has a yet to be for me, but uh, that was my life plan. You know, my uh, parents got divorced when I was two, and I met my birth father when I was eight years old. I went to my great-grandmother or his grandmother's uh, funeral. And uh, went up, my mom goes, oh, there's your dad. I'd never seen him. And walked. She, so she sent me over to him and said, uh, I was like, oh, hey, I'm Rob. And uh, how are you? And he goes, oh. I'm fine, I'm fine, but I'm an alcoholic kid. You don't want anything to do with me. Where's your mother? And he kind of pushed me aside. And um, so I came back. My mom talked to me a little bit. She goes, oh, did you get a chance to talk to your dad? And I go, yeah, he's an alcoholic, and he didn't want anything, you know, that I don't want anything to do with him. And I go, so what's an alcoholic? And my mom just said, no, he's not an alcoholic. He's an asshole. You know, pardon me for cursing. And uh, but that stuck with me. Uh, a couple weeks later, I was watching CBS 60 Minutes with my mom. Had remarried when I was in second grade, so at, when I was eight, my mom had just remarried for a few months. We're sitting around watching CBS 60 Minutes, and so this was 1976, showing my age. But uh, they had talked about where alcoholism is hereditary. And that it goes in there, and I pointed at it because then back then there then there was the wide world that Disney was after, and then uh, Mutual of Omaha Wild Kingdom was after. So I suffered through this news show, but my ears <laughs> perked up when this alcoholism thing. And I go, oh, I'm gonna grow up to be one of those. And my parent, my stepdad, and my mom both kind of freaked out a little bit. They're like, no, 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 and I'm, it was planted. I don't know. It, it, it just, uh, but, you know, fast forward just a little bit. We're the only divorced family. My, um, my uh, mom's brothers and sister uh, were all still married or to their first original family. 
and um, I felt like we were the black sheep of the family. You know, we started to be not included in family activities, and then, you know, that thing with my dad, and then my stepfather was a very, very professional uh, man, wool pants and a button shirt, and I was an outdoor kid just riding my, uh, you know, I had a little Yamaha 80, and I'm out hiking and fishing and running out. I was a very outdoor kind of, and this stepfather of mine was just so different than me. We didn't have any commonality. My mom's brothers and sisters were discluding us from things. And uh, uh, right away it started to, I, I started to blame myself. It must be me, you know, cause I was having, I had friends at school and I was friends with my neighbors and stuff like that, but I just didn't seem to fit in. And then so pretty quickly the beer came in. It just started. It really started to answer the question. It filled the gap. You know, um, I started drinking when I was probably 13, 14. And uh, by the time I was 15, I was blacking out. Uh, we ended up moving from the Chicago area up towards the Wisconsin border. And a bunch of us chipped in and we bought our first car together. I, I was probably 14, 15 at the time. We chipped in. We bought it from some drunken Vietnam vet for a couple hundred dollars. And we would jump on the interstate and we'd drive to Wisconsin and buy beer. Uh, none of us had a driver's license. None of us were old enough to actually even buy beer, but I had kind of a beard or whatever like that back then. It's just a different time. We'd buy cases of beer and drive back home. Um, the drink seemed to solve the, the question for me. It made me fit in with all these other people. Um, it just answered almost every question uh, but I started blacking out at a very young age um, just fa I, I was doing all right in school you know when I was showing up I did very well on testing and all that but like the uh, by the time senior year had come around the principal at the school had a, a expulsion card on his desk that was always just sitting right there with my name on it and I used to get in trouble for having beer in my locker all the time. And the same sentence was said to me all the way up until my last drink. Rob, you're just such a great guy, but you just drink too much. If you just weren't drinking so much, you know, you'd, you'd have such potential. You know, I don't understand. Why do you drink so much? And I didn't really understand either. You know, um, it just, it, it, it worked for me. And it, it um, caused a lot of problems in my life, but it never seemed like I would ever have another option. I think I was 17, 18, I got arrested for an uh, open container and I fell out of my uh, Jeep. Uh, a police officer had asked me if I drink, was drinking. I opened up the door and I fell out into the snow and it ended up being a neighbor of ours. And so he took me home um, and no one really addressed it. The courts did. I start, went to my first AA meeting when I was 18. Didn't really even have any clue what that was about, but I went anyways because it was court appointed, and it just continued on, you know. Um, it ruined just about every single relationship. I don't know about uh, many other people, but I was, um, you know, I was told I was a very romantic, passionate guy by every girl and uh, would do that, but I would drink every relationship and to, and I wasn't too um, I don't I just couldn't handle the structure of it and or the commitment to it and I think it was my own discomfort 
that uh, ruined them. You know, um, I was always looking for something different, and uh, that continued on. Uh, my integrity, my um, monogamy was just always in question. Um, so just keep fast forwarding. They continued. Um, open container arrest, car crashes, rolled cars. I really didn't get uh, arrested for many of those. We were out in the Midwest. We'd roll cars out in the cornfields. We'd crash cars. We'd wedge them between trees at state parks. Um, the only time that I almost got arrested was when the cops came to my uh, parents' house looking for me and my Jeep was ran up a tree and they came to get me in the morning and it, act and it wasn't me. I know it wasn't me, uh, but I didn't know who it was. I, I'd left the vehicle at another house, but I, I almost got arrested for something I didn't do. And I, and I thought that was so unfair. Just like how we said every time I didn't, uh, I didn't get in trouble every time I drank, but then every time I got in trouble, I was drinking. And I was hung over that day. I threw up at, right at the front door when the cops were there accusing me of crashing the car. And I was so nervous and scared, and no one believed me. But um, I continued through school. I was looking for a whole other way of life and thought it would work for me. Um, and once again, I still thought, I'll get everything, and then I'm still going to lose it anyway, so it doesn't matter. But uh, I rotated around, uh, went out to California right after high school, stayed out there for about a semester. Uh, but just started to party and couldn't just couldn't function that far away. Um, every time I got in trouble, I was on probation of some sort, and I really liked that discipline. Um, it helped me monitor my drinking. I never thought probation as a, it, it was an inconvenience, but it also helped me monitor myself. Like I, um, I needed somebody to help give me some kind of self-control, some kind of accountability. So I came back. So I was out in California for a while. I never got arrested out there, but I just did very insane things wandering around. Um, <laughs> I'm looking at him with his eyes, I have to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it, it, it was amazing uh, that I didn't get in trouble out there but I destroyed relationships I made friendships and I would move on I moved from city to city and would always constantly run from people to people and I never really had a problem making new friends it was keeping them um, fast forward a little bit more I came back to Chicago finished up at school and uh, right away was just about to get in trouble again I left town moved down to Georgia through a buddy of mine through high school, and within two weeks, I was on probation for open container. And uh, I thought that was good. It's like, okay, this is all right. I'm in a new town, Georgia. Well, the women outnumbered us five to one, so I loved it there. <laughs> it, it was a great time. You could go out, meet all kinds of people. But Georgia, when I went to court, they offered me, a set, they said, if you leave the state, we'll drop all charges. You just never come back. And uh, my stubborn nature is, is that, well, I said, no, I'm staying. You know, I, I, that was my thing. I would never let go of drinking. Um, I was very stubborn that way. 
So I stayed there for about two years, and then I came to South Florida, finally, because I had a dream of drinking in Fort Lickerdale. <laughs> um, I'd been, the, the family that I was raised with, were, we were very, um, a very simple Midwest family. My family wasn't that financially successful. I never was wanting, but we had a lot of hardships growing up. Um, my life plan of I'm going to get everything and lose it motivated me to some pretty great success um, and uh, was doing quite well. But once again, at every job I ever had, they go, Rob, man, if you just didn't drink so much, you know, an opportunity would come up. And it was always my third or fourth opportunity that um, I would finally get it because I always constantly got second, third, and fourth chances. Um, you know, uh, to get into all the consequences and such like that, it, I, I just know I qualify <laughs> as an alcoholic. Um, and then now how can I help somebody was my point being is that I truly believed that I was going to lose everything. I, there was this movie, Nine and a Half Weeks, with Mickey Rourke. Oh, yeah. And it was that, that there's a scene there drunk in the kitchen and opening up the refrigerator and having this romantic way and all that. And I had glimpses of stuff like that happen in my life. And then it wasn't shortly after that that Mickey Rourke made this movie called Barfly. And I think that should have been like one and two. Like those should have been together. Because the way that I drank, it started out so pretty. And then I thought part two was going to be Barfly. And um, parts of it was. But I didn't quite lose everything and uh, there. Because when I moved to Florida, I had met a nice girl, a local here and I I was working, but I was drinking every day from the time I woke up to the time I went to sleep. Um, I met her at a restaurant that was next to my condo. I lived down on the beach and I'd see her, we'd hang on out and then I'd, oh, I'll call you and I wouldn't call her. Then a day or two later, I'd see her again at the little restaurant next door and we really started to hang out. She brought a lot of balance to my life, like a lot of the other women I had in my life. and. Um, but this one was different. Uh, she she kind of gave me some reasons to try and put, I don't know, just to question my values. So we had been dating for a short amount of time, and we talked about marriage, getting settled. We went into that, and we went to Ireland for uh, a summer vacation. We were there for about five and a half weeks. I rented a 10-seater van. We went from village to village. But every day, we would uh, have to stop by like 11 a.m. so I could start drinking. And uh, lo and behold, the thing was great. I mean, I almost got arrested on the, on the airfare home, or on the flight home. But uh, shortly after that, we found out that we were pregnant and with our son. He was our souvenir. And I thought my drinking could stop. I'd always dreamt of being a father, having a life different than I was raised. But for that, uh, all the way up until he was a year and a half old, my drinking actually even got worse. Then when he was two, I was floating, I was working, 
disappearing between the house, the condo, and another house in another town that we were renting out. And my wife was opening up the bills and setting them out on the table and saying, sign these checks, pay these bills. And all of a sudden, bad bills, bad bar tabs were showing. Like, my timeline wasn't showing up. I was in places I shouldn't have been and doing things I shouldn't have done when I said I was, you know, at home. And uh, surprisingly enough, that was enough of a bottom for me because she said these things. She goes, well, you can choose your drinking or you're going to or or us, which was my wife and my son. And I really wanted a different way of life. I would wake up every morning and uh, pop open a bottle of wine or a drink or two in my bathroom and stare in the mirror and go, oh, my God, you really you're going to do this again. I mean, I drank my last seven years of drinking I was blacking out every day and drinking every single day all day long and I would just stare at myself and work myself into a frenzy looking so deep into the mirror and like holy cow I don't believe really you're going to do this again again and all of a sudden this thought of losing my family was terrifying to me I had bought a new minivan and I thought about it and uh, about this not drinking thing and I drove it and I backed up into a little yellow pole which wasn't a big deal all the cars I rolled all the big problems in my life but I made this problem I would never drink in my son's little my son's minivan and for the first time I really scared myself like that I was willing to risk someone else's life all the other times all my buddies and friends were drinking with me in the vehicles. We all took our own lives in our own hands. But I had this precious life, and I was so nervous that I was going to ruin it. It was one of the biggest gifts. It still is the biggest gift in my life. So we started marriage counseling. Went there. She's like, oh, well, do you have, do you have a drinking problem, the marriage counselor? And I said, well, it's 930 in the morning. I drink a bottle of wine so I could talk about my feelings. I don't know if that's a problem or not. <laughs> But, uh, you know, um, and then she should, suggested that I go to AA. Was it something that I was willing to do? I said I'd been to AA for years, off and on. AA will not work for me. It just won't. Well, she said, well, try anyways. So that was in February of 06. I started, uh, so I picked a eight, I went to two AA meetings a week. I drank on the way to the meeting, and I drank right after the meeting. Um, I started to know people a little bit, but not really too much because I wasn't ready to stop drinking. I found a rehab facility. She asked if I wanted to go to rehab. And I said, yes, that would be great. I can take a break. You know, uh, maybe I can go out to one of the islands. And uh, it, it, But she really stressed the point of me getting to a 12-step recovery. And once again, this daily looking into the mirror thing of just like, holy cow, really, I'm going to do this again. I mean, it was, it was so hard for me to drink to the level I was drinking, um, for me to be comfortable. And then I heard the thing uh, in AA that we can raise this bottom. You really don't have to lose everything. <laughs> and that was the first time I heard that. I really thought that I was still going to drink, like, even though she said, oh, we're going to lose the wife and the kid, I still thought I was going to drink to lose them, and I was just going to AA to start mourning the loss of everything. I didn't think I'd go to AA to stop drinking. I thought I'd go to AA and hear how 
everyone else lost everything and now we're locked in here and we're going to complain about how unfair life is so um anyway it was struggling for me but then when they talked about it i related i was willing to do anything to try and stay sober so i went off to the rehab facility they didn't know I flew out to Arizona. They were very nervous about me flying. I'd never flown sober in my life. Uh, but I wanted to try something different. When I flew out to Arizona, they showed up in a paddy wagon. It was all wrapped in vinyl. It was a small cage in the back. I thought I was getting picked up in like a town car or, or something like that. Uh, but they had said, well, Rob, you explained you've never flown. So we had no idea what condition you were going to show up in. And... Uh, I said, oh, well, that's fair. So I got in the cage <laughs> and, uh, and drove to rehab. Um, it was a very crowded room. There was a room we went to things every day. I ended up sitting in the front row, and I started to do things I'd never done. Um, it was, I know, I, I was so scared about not drinking, but I just didn't know what else to do. Within two or three days, they took me out to this outside meeting, and I met this guy that uh, they said I would be a temporary sponsor. He had suggested to me that we go through the step work, and if I read a few pages of the big book or I do these things, he'll visit me every week at my rehab. And But if I don't do this, we'll part ways as friends. Don't worry, he'll stay sober, <laughs> And but he doesn't know what will happen to me. And, but he had changed his schedule to meet me out there and, and changed his work schedule. He's getting ready to get married, and he changed all, all aspects of his life to comply to, my, to the few hours I had for visitors. So I started to do these things, and I started to be reasonably okay, like where I wasn't thinking about drinking 24-7. Um, and... I was afraid to come home. I was supposed to be there for 28 days. I stayed for 45 uh, because where I lived down on Fort La down on the beach, there were like 50 bars, clubs, and restaurants, and all these people in Arizona had no clue. Uh, you know, people, places, and things. As soon as you go home, because I was painting such a beautiful picture of the beach where I lived. You know, I, I would go out every day. I, I, I'd go out for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, drink all day long. And they're like, how can you go home? Maybe you should move here. And I'm like, well, what? <laughs> I, I have a wife. I have a child. I can't have a career back home. So I stayed for almost a little over another two weeks because I was in real fear. Uh, my step work got to be quite intensive. I started to write about my insanity I, the guy had me write a timeline for my step one which showed my progression step two started to write my insane and my negative thinking which was a lot of the reservations i had like i don't believe anybody's sober i don't believe i can stay sober um i don't believe that aa really works i you know if problems are bad enough of course we drink i had this long list it was pages and pages long you know, I've heard many people say that when they got sober, I was so cloudy, I couldn't read the book. Oh, oh, my hand was so shaky, I couldn't write anything. Mine was too, but I wrote and I read. 
uh, you know, you can see the scribbles. I still have that workbook today, and you can see that I was not in good health. But I, but my desperation gave me the motivation to do that. Like I figured, if I could reveal these things, that I might be liberated enough to maybe I will be able to stay sober for a day when I get home. Because I still thought as soon as I go home, I'm going to drink. So day 45 comes up. I fly home. They want to put me in this intensive outpatient program. And um, I wasn't willing to do that for whatever reason. I found a meeting three blocks from my house. And I walked over to it. And that was within, I don't know, 10 hours of when I got home. I met all these people. And we started to do the work started to do the deal um, quickly just to get through the last 14 years of sobriety at 90 days sober uh, IRS came and knocked on my door because I always had this these reservations when life gets so difficult that you definitely drink night Rob we haven't seen you for a few years but they actually went back I know this was from like back in the 90s when I lived in Georgia so Florida had nothing to do with Florida but uh, it was still like, what do you mean? I thought Statue of Limitations or something. It was from over 10 years before, 10 and 11 years before. And the, But the IRS came and got me, uh, and I had a topic that day at the meeting, IRS debt, we drink over this, right? <laughs> and a few people said they had, but a lot of other people said they didn't. So I faced that and talked about it, you know, the, the rigorous honesty, because I everything was a state of emergency for me. You know, at six months sober, my wife started drinking again. She quit when I quit. And then at six months sober, she started to drink. She would have a glass. Oh, can I have a glass of wine at lunch? Yes. Okay, yeah, of course. I'm spiritually fit. And then uh, she'd have a glass of wine at dinner. And then that escalated to a few glasses at each meal. So we, I dealt with that for quite a few years. But I was so... If anything, but she still supported for me to go to meetings. I had this person that was drinking a little bit at home that made me uncomfortable. But what it really did, it afforded me to go to more meetings. And, it, and she kind of didn't mind. So I was going to a meeting in the morning, one at night, and one in the evening. And I was really getting busy with a bunch of you guys getting my foundation. At a year sober, I was up for partner at work, and I tried to take out a large insurance policy. And they did a uh, life insurance screen, and they found cancer by my stomach and my liver, pre-cancer. And so I had a topic that day at AA. Cancer, right? We get drunk and high over this, right? We don't stay sober. And, you know, once again, same answer was there. Yeah, a few people did, and they're not here anymore, but a bunch of us have, and we're still sober. So uh, I went through 11 and a half months of chemo, and it made me sick. I was fire and brimstone. I was just on fire all the time. I was in dire pain, screaming at the meetings. I was threatening suicide. I, w I was sick. And I was so scared about taking, like, so I wouldn't take any of the antidepressants. I wouldn't take any of the pain pills. I just did my chemo and I got sick, but I was getting healthier, but I got crazy. Uh, that went on for 11 and a half months. During this time, my wife's drinking escalated a little bit more. So I just kept my tripled up meetings, my chemo, and doing the deal and not drinking no matter what. You know, lo and behold, all these years later, I'm still cancer free. I got through that. 
And then at the same time, I got through the IRS deal. Years three and four, I started going to uh, a lot of international conventions with the same zeal of AA, you know, traveling around the world, going over into uh, Guatemala, Honduras, Costa Rica. I was going to international conventions. It was just amazing to see people around the world. I had this new lease on life because chemo was, you know, my cancer was in remission. I was feeling great and, uh, and was sober. Another year or so later, five years five and six, my wife's drinking started to be a little bit difficult for me. I don't know if I was complacent or not or what, but I talked with her about it and I said, I can't tell you not to drink. That's not my place, but I have a feeling that if I stay here, because it was uncomfortable sometimes to be close to her and smelling the wine or the drink, it, it, it just wasn't. And some of you guys told me some misinformation. They said, well, you can't tell her to stop drinking. You can't. But then a couple other guys made it a little bit more real that I'm allowed to set my own healthy boundary and that my home is supposed to be safe for me. So I talked with her about it, and I said, well, I don't know if you, sh if you even feel like stop drinking, if you have a drinking problem. But I go, if we stay together, I'm afraid I might drink, and that's scary for me. I don't want to drink. So she's like, well, what are we going to do? And I said, well, I don't know. You kind of have to figure that out for you. But I know our relationship is going to change if you continue drinking. I, I, I just can't be in a relationship with someone that's drinking. So lo and behold, she joined. She picked up a white chip shortly after that. She found a sponsor through some of the group of the women that I know here. And she went through the 12 steps. She went to meetings every day. We went to one meeting a week together. Then she did like four or five other meetings and uh, got a sponsor, went through all the 12 steps, went to meetings for about 18 months. Now my wife is five, six years sober. She hasn't been to a meeting in four or five years. But you know what? I'm not sure she's an alcoholic. And it's not for me to judge, just like it wasn't for her to judge and rush my results. Because at the very beginning of my sobriety, in February of 06, when she was threatening for me to be divorced and Rob needs to go to rehab, Rob needs to do this, the uh, marriage counselor said, well, Rob, do you want to go to rehab? And that was in February. I said, August sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> and lo and behold, that's when I picked up my white chip, was that eight months later. But she had that <laughs> willingness to immerse herself in the program had her willingness to, uh, I, we, we shared daily readings together. We still do. Um, we renewed our wedding vows to, I surprised her, what was that, two years ago. We, we were married in St. Thomas years ago, and I surprised her with that. My sponsor knows my wife, and we every now and again we talk about it, and he's like, well, maybe she is. I go, yeah, I don't know. And you know what, it kind of doesn't matter if she's an alcoholic or not, because you know what? This is the best relationship I've had in my life. You know, and AA taught me that, to keep my side of the street clean. You know, so she went to any length to try and save the relationship. It inspired me, and still does to this day, to go to any length. You know, so many people, anybody can find grounds for divorce. I think it takes a real person of integrity and merit to find grounds for marriage. And what length you're willing to to keep your marriage. You know, my son is 16 and a half. He'll be 17 in March. 
and um, he's the greatest gift. When he was in pre-K four, he taught me how to pray. He brought home a picture Bible. You know, he brought home uh, he brought home this Bible, and then you guys told me to work on my prayer. So he read the picture Bible every night. It's what he wanted to do, and so I got to experience that. I ended up changing my work schedule from pre-K four to this year. And I've been a volunteer in his classroom every single year since then. He's a junior in high school. In first grade, he brought home a flyer from Cub Scouts, and he wanted to join Scouts and go camping. I mean, every girl I ever dated said, Rob, you're no Boy Scout. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so it was amazing to adjust that and to go into this way of life with him. My son just got his Eagle Scout, which is a pretty high um, accomplishment when he started Cub Scouts in first grade. He just got his Eagle Scout, which is the highest rank of Boy Scout. You know, he's in marching band, he's in drum line, he loves his video games. He hasn't done 2% of the things I did wrong by his age. And I owe that to AA. I didn't, I, I don't have to explain to my son why I'm an alcoholic. I'm not even sure if my son knows I'm an alcoholic. I've never talked to him about it. I've talked to him about drinking. I've talked to him about drugs. But it really put a lot of hindrance and pain on me to have this wrong justification that I'm an alcoholic. You know, that uh, that funeral with my when I met my father, I'm an alcoholic kid. And then a couple weeks later, alcoholism is hereditary. I, I don't know. I, I almost wonder what would have happened if I wouldn't have had that information. I mean, but, I'm, but now I'll never know what the difference will be. But the point being is that oh, I know the biggest difference is that I don't have to pick up a drink today to, to prove myself wrong or prove myself right that I really am an alcoholic. You know, the desperation that I have today is still here. I, I reach out to guys and talk to just about anything that's going on. You know, I'll talk about relationships. I'll talk about business. I'll talk about family. I'll talk uh, health. I'll talk about diet. Because to me, it's all, it it is all linked. You know, just because I'm not drinking today doesn't mean that I don't have work to do. You know, I'm, I'm ready to accept and still accept that this is a program about so much more than just not drinking. Because if that's all I was doing, it would have been like I mentioned in the beginning. I'd be sitting in a room with a bunch of angry, hostile drunks complaining about how unfair life is and all the reasons why I can't drink. Instead, I go to a lot of meetings and I reach out to a lot of people and the list is so long of why I don't have to drink and all the opportunities that I get. You know, um, all the changes that I've made in my life have been amazing. The amends I've been able to make to my family uh, have been amazing. You know, my mom doesn't keep my sobriety too private. And so I've talked, some of my cousins have reached out to me over the years, but lots of times it's been for friends of theirs that are in trouble. And I've actually buried a few of them. I've went over, I've drove hours to go meet somebody at a hospital as they were uh, distended liver and bloat and that, and they don't come out of it you know um i'm 51 i'll be 52 i got sober when i was 37 my sponsor said those are the perfect years i don't know and i believed him 
but I think there's people that have been sober before me that are younger and that have been sober longer than me. And then those are their perfect years. That's the perfect time. You know, I, I believed all the slogans that they told me, you know, oh, this is the perfect time to get sober, Rob. Oh, you can go to any length. And that wasn't a punishment. That was an opportunity. You know, um, meeting makers make it. You know, uh, it's been a while since I've been to three meetings in a day. But there's now I, I usually go to meetings Monday through Friday and uh, maybe an a evening meeting or two. So like six, seven meetings a week. I'm employed full time, volunteer with my son, spend a lot of time with my wife, spend a lot of times with my friends. You know, uh, I'm an avid scuba diver, fisherman, uh, bike. I, I like riding my bicycle like hiking on the beach, go to lots of national parks. I mean, I, it, I travel immensely. The camping that my son introduced me to as a Cub Scout has taken me to uh, 27 states and I don't know how many national parks across the country. And in all those places, I've been able to find meetings. Uh, we do lots of cruises. On the cruise ships, there's friends of Bill W. I remember my first cruise, I thought that was an old veterans thing or something, <laughs> friends of World War II. And lo and behold, uh, I've done uh, almost 30 cruises all around the Caribbean, and there's been meetings on there. You know, sometimes I've seen people come into the meeting, it's their first cruise. I've been up on deck, a beer bottle rolls down, and I pick the beer bottle up and I set it up, and it's been people from the meeting. And like, oh, Rob, I'm so sorry I drank. I go, drinking is what we do. Are you coming to the meeting later? And uh, they didn't have to say they didn't, they didn't come to the meeting later. But I didn't judge them. You know, I, I, I believe that some people drink so that I don't have to. You know, because I have this gift of desperation of where I'm willing to go to any length to stay sober. You know, and a lot of that is by telling on myself and accepting others exactly as they are. Um, you know what? It's, I have to tell you, when you've been speaking, you know, we have so many things in common. And to the listeners, you know, my loyal listeners that listen to me every week, I thank you all the time. But it's kind of crazy when you hear a guy tell a lot of your story. Because I'm, as you know, 51. I got sober when I was 37. Oh, no, I didn't, know. Oh, yeah, I got sober when I was, see, see all this stuff we found out while we're <laughs> sitting here. And, um... I've always heard Rob in the meetings, and I've, I just I love what he shares, and I wanted to get to know him better, hence I asked him to come on. And so we were both, got sober at 37, we're both 51. We both came from families of alcoholics. You know, I didn't go to rehab, but we, oh, by the way, we also are only six days apart in our sobriety date. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's the eighth, and I'm the 14th. But when you were talking and, you know, I can I tell everybody that you're a big... He's a big professional, I have to tell you. And he's got a big job. And can I tell him what you do? He's, he's an attorney. So <clears throat> he's kind of smart. Went to law school. Passed the bar, which a lot of people can't do. And uh, he was a lawyer and he's a professional. And I know a lot of people out there that it gives you kind of an ego, right? That being a lawyer. Sure. It's like being a doctor. It's being a lawyer. Mm -hmm. It's like kind of... It's kind of big deal, right? Yeah. And... Um, but you still went and you got sober and you stay sober and you help people 
and you have this life that's beyond your wildest dreams. And I never thought, you know, oh, well, I'm, I wasn't ever a professional, but I came from that lineage that you're supposed to think you're maybe better than other people, even though I'm not better than anybody. I put my pants on one leg, short leg, one leg at a time. But the, you know, what you said is that you were broken. You drank because you didn't want to feel. The way you described looking in the mirror was something that I could relate to completely, which was that I look in the mirror and I hate what's staring back at me. Yeah. And the shame. I had so much shame. Mm. That's why I, that's why, you know, I patented the term sober, not ashamed, because I was so filled with shame. I didn't want anybody to know who I really was, which was a drunk, right? Like deep down inside, we're still drunks. Oh, yes. And to help another person is all my, and that's what I hear from you today. And right now it's, it's through your son. You see, you know, we say your higher power, everybody knows I like to say God, God working in your life all over the place. And what a gift that is. Huge. Huge. You have this life that like, even though you're still, you're still an attorney and you're still kind of a big shot, but you know what? You're sober. And that's what's given you this life that's beyond your wildest dreams. Oh yeah. Well, a lot of the attorneys that I know are, you know, a lot of their life is still hidden, and uh, I, I, they, they don't have that desperation. A lot of my other professional friends, few of them are dead already from stress-related. Well, no, they were alcoholics. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's like you said, that surrender in the mirror, the guilt, the remorse, the shame. This is just so different for me. And, like it's, and, and then that other slogan that says, uh, surrender to win. And it was just a surrendering my thinking, you know, that, that really my life, like I don't have to fully commit to my life plan, you know, because my life plan was pretty dark from a very early age, like you had mentioned. And if I'm open to this new life, it's, it, it's a life beyond my imagination, you know. And do you know that the reason why this is called Busy Living Sober, I mean, we know my nickname's Busy, but Busy Living Sober is all about getting busy living sober. And I have to tell you, your description of what you've done in your life is getting busy living sober, right? Yeah. You don't let anything hold you back. You travel, you go do all these amazing things and have this life that, again, is beyond you would ever imagine. Yeah, it's, all a pro it's a program of action. And if, I, and if I apply the principles to every aspect of my life, I, I have a lot of hobbies and interests that a sober person should do, you know, or non-drinking person should do, like the scuba dive and stuff like that. And so it's, I, I put myself in some situations that a normal, healthy person would be. And you know what? None of those people know that I'm a, an alcoholic. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I show up in the morning for the dive boat or something like that. And you can see some of the tourists a little hungover or something. But I don't need to explain why I'm not drinking today. Instead, I can just be an active participant on the beauty of the beach or the beauty of nature or whatever it is with family and friends. Rob, thank you so much. This has been incredible. So awesome. So if somebody's listening who's a professional and is feeling like the same way, like, oh, my God, every day I get up and I do the same thing. I have my bottle of wine and I have this life and I'm so scared and I don't know what to do. Please reach out. Because I'll forward it to Rob, and Rob will respond to you. I promise, right? Yes. And um, it's just that's don't let don't let this disease kill you because it yeah. will. It yeah. will. Every drink was that way. I'd start off in the morning with wine. I'd celebrate in the holidays, and then I'd have St. Patrick's Day every night <laughs> with single malt scotch, and then you know, 
yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's amazing the length we go to to destroy our lives and how much less I was settling for, you know. So, yeah, if you feel like you don't want to drink today and you don't know how, you know, there is definitely a way out. And you don't have to be alone. No. Well, Rob, thank you again for coming on. I really, really, really appreciate it. It's been awesome. I loved hearing your story. And um, everybody out there, please keep getting busy living sober. Talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.